yeah, so sin is it's basically turning away from God. It's not just doing bad things. It's living your own life the way you want to live it. Um, and so it's not about doing good deeds or bad deeds. It's about saying it's basically just turning away from God simply put. And I was doing that. I was living my own life. I was making my own decisions. I was... I was... Uh, yeah, I was basically really free. I love freedom. And yeah. Hi, I'm Chris. I am 22 this year. Um, so basically, I grew up in church. Um, my family went to church. And... Um, honestly speaking, I hadn't, didn't, had, never really had a relationship with God. Um, so yeah, I always felt like I was, you know, he, well, he was some, someone that's just completely distant from, for me. And yeah, so it was just ideas in my head. Um, it made me realize that that I wasn't really, you know, a believer. Um, it was probably during. I can't remember exactly where, but I was probably doing a Bible study where we sort of broke down um, what sin was, I guess. That made me realize that sin was a lot more than I thought it was. And that, that, that also made me question the way I live, how I was living. Um, the gospel is basically, you know, God sending the Son to die on the cross because of how sinful we are, because we needed someone to save us. Um, it just made me feel so much smaller than I am. And there's so much, there's a much bigger picture, you know. And I sort of realized where I fit in, to, in, in the bigger picture. Um, that I was really in need of, of someone. That someone is, is, is God. He's the only one. Jesus is the only one that, that could die for my sins. So right now I'm, I'm in the YA and I've been serving by, we've been planning out YA events every month. And as well, that sometimes I've led Bible studies to speak to um, someone else about Christ. Um, and he used not just me, but um, my story, I guess. I felt that I was talking to someone about about, um, about God right? and His walk and my walk with God. And at first, it really wasn't going anywhere. Um, um, until some point in time, uh, I really felt that there was there was a change in Him that um, wasn't achieved by anything that I did, you know. Um, and it took, it took a bit of, it took a lot of trust actually, because along the way, I, especially at the start, I didn't feel like I was going anywhere. There's no way I could do it on my own. There's no way I could speak to someone about God's word or talk to anyone about um, what has happened in my life about Him. You know, so I think definitely, um, yeah, He's definitely working in me to to spread His word. I think God is uh, right now He's trying to unify us as one body as one community and that's also what I hope 
you know, we get there eventually. Um, and I do see progress. Yeah. The various um, activities that we planned, uh, Reformation con- concept, for example, that has really helped us um, worship God together, as we should be doing. Um, and really glorify Him together. Yeah. yeah. Rebuilding projects. Um, I've seen people from all over the place just come together and sacrificially give. My name is Chris, and I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, thank you, Chris. Uh, which mic am I going to... Can you hear me all right? Oh. Thanks, Chris, for sharing, and um, as I think many of you know who have been here the last couple of weeks, our hope is that we will hear the story of God's good news written into your life, ordinary GBCers sharing how they've been impacted by the gospel, and I want to thank you who've already done that, Pat, thank you for sharing, Chris, thank you. And if this um, comms team approaches you and says, we'd love to hear your story, I hope you'll say yes. Um, Don't don't be camera shy. You will bless us to hear the story that God is writing in your life. And uh, having said that, as you go out this afternoon, there's a little booklet called Reflections. This this booklet has blessed my heart. Uh, It's free for you as long as supplies last. I hope you will pick up a copy because it's just people like you who participate in a platform for good news and they have shared their reflections. So I know you'll be blessed by that. I hope you'll pick up a copy after our service as you leave. As you know, as you've heard already, we've started a new teaching series called Not Ashamed. Uh, Last week and this week is just kind of setting the table. Now, preparing our hearts to talk about the gospel, not just the gospel, but how the gospel spread historically and how it spreads today. Um, Last week, we were reminded through God's word that every situation that happens, even difficult situations, even trouble, can serve as a slave to the Most High God and simply be a platform for His good news. This afternoon, we are looking at the gospel, what it is, what what is the definition of that word, who is qualified to share, what are the characteristics, and what are the consequences when the gospel is shared. Now, let me say this again, and I'm going to say it often, uh, because this is a topic that makes us nervous, right? Now, we, we are not planning on bringing in expert evangelists to teach you the skills of evangelism. I'm not hoping that you be more competent in forcefully and convincingly sharing the message of Jesus Christ. I am hoping that we become more joyful and share accidentally. I'm hoping that we will share not on purpose, but just because we are so saturated with the joy of our salvation that it comes leaking out of us. So first, I'd like to talk about a definition. I think it's helpful uh, to develop a definition of terms. Uh, It may surprise you that that word gospel does not come from any of the biblical languages. It actually comes from a rather obscure dialect. 
English. <laughs> Actually, it comes from Old English, and the word is godspell, long O, godspell, which literally means a good story. It's not God's story, although I've heard some preachers say this means God's story. It literally means this is a good story. And in ancient England, good spellers were men who traveled around in rural areas, in marketplaces, in the wet market in rural farming areas, and they would entertain children with stories. So a a good speller was actually somebody who could keep people spellbound, riveted, attached to the story that they were telling. It's an ancient tradition in every culture, the gift of storytelling. Before internet, that was a thing. Before Netflix, there was good spellers. But there is a biblical word. The biblical word is euangelion, which is the word from which we get our English religious word, evangelist. An evangelist, or euangelion, was literally calling out, usually, good news. It's someone who would literally stand and shout, here's the news. And so just like English culture, a Yengelion, someone who was an evangelist, would, it was actually a secular occupation. It was an occupation of some significant influence because in a Roman day where few people read or could read, the Yengelion would stand at a significant corner in the streets and shout out the daily news. He was a newsreader in English tradition. He, he'd be like, like, what do they call that? The town crier. Hear ye, hear ye. King James has slaughtered another Baptist. That's the news. Not good for Baptists. So that is the definition of, of, of terms. Now, um, I, I want to be clear that the word does not mean convince of good news. It it carries no obligation to the news reader that people believe the news. The only obligation is for the reader to call out the news. And I'm sharing this because I know that there are those of you sitting right here in front of me who are saying, Pastor, I know this. Oh man, a whole year of the gospel, but I'm just not that kind of person. Like introvert. I'm an introvert. So... It's it's not my way. Actually, you are that kind of person. We are all that kind of person. I'll give you an example of how we are all that kind of person. Now, now we have three boys, as you know, and one of them doesn't like people. And, and, And the boy who doesn't like people always makes a mother nervous because he's the one that we are thinking he's going to be all by himself, no friends, so far away. So the news that he met a girl... Like, so some of you mothers can relate, right? Can, can you imagine your son calls and says, Mom, I've met this girl, and I, I really think she's the one I want to, to marry them. You are probably not going to say, Oh, I wish I could tell somebody, but I'm not that kind of person. I, I don't share good news, right? So uh, we're all those kind of people. And did I mention Sherry already? I did, right? It, it's kind of a weekly thing that I do. 
<laughs> you, you know, just so you know, Sherry does not like to do any public speaking. She's very shy. In fact, she doesn't even like her name to be mentioned. <laughs> but she does not need your permission to talk about her grandbabies. You, you, you see, this is something that just naturally pours out of whatever gives us joy. We don't ask for permission to share something that gives us joy. We just share it, assuming it will be okay because we're so excited about it. It, it, It's not like we're trying to be offensive. Now, you would offend me if before I had grandchildren, you said to me, these are my grandchildren, you absolutely must have some. Why don't you have some? (laughs) Right? There is no sense of obligation in sharing good news. It's just sharing good news just because that's what we're going to be talking about. That's what we'll be looking at. Um, And and here's what we need to understand. Luke wrote two chapters. One chapter is called the Gospel of Luke. You can find it in your Bibles. In fact, you might want to go ahead right now and find Luke chapter 24. So Luke's gospel is the story of all the things Jesus did before he died and was resurrected. Acts is the second chapter of all the things Jesus said and did after he died and was resurrected. And then you'll begin to get to know why the resurrection is so important in the Christian faith. Because there's no other religion that talks about all the things their founder did after he died. Because generally, when you die, that's the end of the chapter. But in the book of Acts, we are going to discover all of the things Jesus did in and through those who followed him after his death and resurrection. And Luke's first chapter is full of evangelists. In fact, we talked about one evangelist at Christmas time. In Luke chapter 2, the angel was an evangelist. In verse 10, he says to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. That's euangelion. Fear not, I bring you good news, great joy that will be for all people. And in Luke chapter 3, John the baptizer was an evangelist because it says in verse 18, So with many other exhortations... He preached good news. Those three words. Preached good news is Yengelion of the kingdom of God. And then in Luke chapter 4, verse 32, Jesus declares his work on earth. When he says this, I must, Yengelion, preach the good news of the kingdom of God, for I have been sent for this purpose. Now listen to this, GBC. This is really important. Jesus was sent for this purpose, and his body exists for this purpose. We don't exist to sing praise songs. Does that sound like heresy? Why? Because on the other side of glory, we'll be singing praise songs for eternity. We do not exist so you can hear a preacher from Canada shout at you for 40 minutes. Because on the other side of glory, 
Our Bible knowledge will be complete. You will not be saying the moment you reach heaven, hey, can anybody tell me where Pastor Ian is? Because I'd like to hear about the book of Acts. You know why? Because the Apostle Paul will be there and you'll walk right past him because Jesus will be there. So by the time we get off of this planet into the embrace of heavenly glories, we will have shared good news with every person forever. We exist for this reason, not to rebuild the building, not to hear teaching and preaching, not to sing happy songs. We exist just as Jesus was sent for this good news. So let me talk about the content. Here's where you'll need your Bibles, Luke chapter 24. I want to read just this last portion, the last part of Jesus' first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. It happens to be chapter 24. Beginning in verse 44, Jesus said to his disciple, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, in other words, everything in the Jewish scriptures were talking about me. These are my words, that they should be fulfilled. And then scripture says, he then opened their minds to understand the scripture. This is why when I share good news, I have no obligation to convince non-believers that the scripture is true. Because unless Jesus opens minds, they can read it for 2,000 years, just like the Hebrews did, and still not get it. And then this word, thus it is written, that the Messiah, the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of this. Now I have placed in your listening guide, inside your ministry guide, or what is it called here? Bulletin. Inside your bulletin, there's a listening guide. I have put what I feel is the best summary of the content of the gospel I have ever read myself personally. Because the disciples grew up in synagogue. We didn't. They grew up with all the background Jesus was referring to. We have grown up with secular education. So in in addition to Sunday school, we filled our hearts and heads up with secular stuff. But the disciples had none of that. All they had was religion. So here is a great summoner. You can see it in your ministry guide or in your listening guide. It's actually written, a summarized version, by a man named Tabiti Anabawili, who was born into a Muslim family, heard the gospel, was transformed by it, and has kept his Muslim name just as a testimony of the transformational power of the good news of Jesus Christ. The first point is this, God the Father, who is holy and righteous in all ways, will punish sins. Now, some of you are already thinking that doesn't sound like good news. Well, is justice good news to you? A just and holy God will make all things right in his world. Second bullet point, humanity, that means you and me have rebelled against his rule, and therefore, by that rebellion, 
I have alienated myself from the love of God and placed myself in danger of eternal and agonizing condemnation. Now you're saying that's really not good news, right? By the way, I'm being an evangelist right now. I don't need you to believe this. I don't need you to to be convinced of this. I just need, as a part of the body of Christ, to share this good news. Third bullet point. But God, this is a beautiful thing. Two sides of the same coin. He's a God that seeks justice. But God is also a God who is rich, lavish in mercy, and great in love. He sent his eternal son, born of the virgin, to die as payment, ransom, and a substitute for the sins of us rebellious people that we are. My need to be in charge. My need to be the God who made me. He sent Christ to be a ransom for that rebellion. I was one of those rebels. That's the story of my life, and I'm gospeling right now. Next bullet point. Now through the perfect obedience of the Son of God. Why was Jesus baptized? You know, his need to model perfect obedience, to get us to understand that obedience is the love language of God. Right? You remember Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So one time I was teaching on this particular scripture and I asked our people, I won't do this today because I embarrassed us. I said, how many of you love Jesus? And of course, everybody put up their hand. How many of you always do what he says? It's the same question. Because obedience is the love language of God. And that's why Christ was baptized. Some of you are praying about, Lord, give me the faith to be baptized. It's a step of obedience. That's what it is. And Christ took that step because the next day would require more obedience all the way to the cross. Now through his perfect obedience, his willing death on the cross, he paid for our sins. And all who turn, that means repent and believe in him, following him as Savior and Lord, next, will be saved from the wrath of God to come. Declare just in his sight. Have eternal life. Receive his spirit as a foretaste of the glories of salvation. That is the gospel, the content of the gospel. This was the good news for which Jesus came. He didn't come to establish a new religion because religion is not good news. He didn't come to be a good teacher. That's why he puts all of us in a difficult position. If I was at one time in my life able to accept him as a good teacher, that would have been good for me. But but I had to accept him as Savior, as King and Lord of my life. That was a challenge for a rebel like Ian. So, what, what is the qualification? What's the characteristic of someone who would be a good speller, who would be an evangelist. And please hear this. There's no such thing as professional evangelists. We have made it so to the detriment of the kingdom of heaven. 
We are all of us called, gifted or not, to provide in our lives a platform for this gospel. Look at Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 43. And by the way, if you want to look ahead of time, put your finger in Romans chapter 1. This is what Jesus said. As they were talking about these things, this is, I've gone backwards, right? If you're dyslexic, you can do that and it feels normal. So I started at the end and now I'm, I'm moving toward the front of that story. And as they were talking about these things, so the, so the disciples were all in a room with the doors triple locked. Jesus was suddenly there in his midst. He stood among them and said, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. So in other words, after seeing Jesus heal the sick, raise the dead, the disciples believed in ghosts. Right? They were not super Christians. I just need you to get this. They, they were not beyond you and I. They were broken, just like you and I were. They tended to filter Jesus' words through their culture and through their own expectation. So when he suddenly appeared after his death, they just assumed he's a ghost. They were startled and frightened. They thought they saw a spirit. Jesus said, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Now notice this, what he does next. See, he said, see my hands. You see, this God is not about blind faith. He's about experiential faith. He said, see, look at, look at my hands. Look at these wounds. See my feet, that it is I myself. Now, I love this. Touch me. F- feel me. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. You see, if he came back as a ghost, if he came back as a spirit... That would fit their secular mythology. But a dead man coming back to life, that is insane. And, And God's thoughts and his ways are so far beyond ours. He cannot match up to our mythical expectations. And so he says next, hey, do you have something to eat around here? Because that confirms he was a man. And so he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still disbelieved with joy, so you can have joy and still be a doubter. Do not let the evil one crush you just because you have doubts. Right? They had doubt and joy at the same time. And that is all right. While they were doubting and joyful and marveling, he said to them, do you have anything to eat? And then he said this, verse 48, you are witnesses to this. With this primary qualification, you you suddenly realize why a woman who had had five husbands and was currently living with a man who was not her husband was an evangelist, but many of us are not. In the contemporary church, you know, we default to this passive, content-driven approach to discipleship. We have this feeling that the people who have sat in church the longest are likely the most mature disciples, the, the people who know the most 
Bible stuff. They're, they're probably the most mature, gifted disciples of Christ. We, we, we just have this narrow content driven approach to discipleship, we somehow have this feeling that if Christianity um, was more full of conviction and if Christians simply knew more about their faith, then somehow Christianity would be more convincing. I got to be honest with you. I, I have met a lot of convinced Buddhists. This nation is full of very well-studied, convinced Muslims. I am not saying it is wrong to study God's word. What I am saying is, well, let me share it this way. Last 19 December, right here in Singapore, a man, and I'm sure you saw the news, maybe he was emotionally disturbed for whatever reason, he was driving at a high rate of speed, going the wrong direction in a silver Mercedes on the AYE. He, he collided into multiple vehicles and, and tragically took the life of Jackie Leung. It's tragic for Jackie's family, for all those who loved him. Uh, but, but here's what I'm thinking. You just need to ask Sherry again. That's, I think, the third time I've mentioned her name. I have a lot of driving code conviction. I mean, I am absolutely convinced on the proper driving etiquette according to Ian. But not just according to Ian, because I want you to know the sacrifice I have made. I have turned my back on my driving heritage. Yes, I've left the dogma of Canadian driving. I've turned towards Singaporean driving dogma. It's different, you know, because in Canada, we all sit at a four-way stop and wave at each other. Oh, you go, you go. Go ahead, you first. And then we go and they say, oh, sorry, sorry, not my turn. Sorry, sorry, wave to everybody. But here in Singapore, the driving dogma is a little more aggressive, right? You move, you don't move, you get honked, right? Right, so I have fully adopted that driving dogma. I mean, I, I have fully embraced it in all possible ways. I have even gone on the lta.gov.sg website to study the Singaporean driving dogma. So, so here's what's, convin- what's confusing to me. In, in spite of all of my driving knowledge... Do you know I have not been invited to testify for that court case? Um, Because the qualification for sharing news is not that you know something, but that you were there and you experienced it. It's not that you're full of knowledge, but you're full of the impact of this experience. I guarantee you, the witnesses of that accident will be transformed. They will remember that day until the day they die. Because when you have seen something, when you've experienced it, it changes you. And you feel a sense of obligation. Do you notice how the newspapers had no problem finding witnesses? 
And so here's what the Apostle Paul says about the gospel in Romans chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. He says this, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to yen galion, preach this news to you who are also in Rome. You know that word from which my Bible translates obligation? It's the Greek word, the root of which means debt. But more than debt, it means delinquent debt. You see, when you've been transformed by the gospel, you live like a man under obligation. When you share the gospel, you're paying your debt because someone was faithful to share the treasure of good news with you. That's why I want you to hear from each other how the story came to you, how you were transformed by it, and how you're seeing it transform others in your life. This is what the Apostle Paul said. I'm transformed by this gospel. Now, quickly, in the four minutes we have less left, the, the consequence of this gospel, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, here's what the entire year is going to be about. I am not ashamed of this gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then also to the non-Jew or to the Greek. It is important that we understand the irony of why he's saying, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. It's because, remember the gospeler, the Yen Gelion in Roman days, though it was a place and, and a, a, an occupation of influence, it was not an occupation of deep respect. Sorry, all of you who are studying journalism. The reason it was not an occupation of deep respect is because the news in Rome was whatever Caesar said it was. That means the news in Rome was always good news. It means the news was always good, yes, fake news. Good news. All the peasants have bread and are not hungry today. Good news he might be reading in the pouring rain. The sun is bright and the farmers rejoice. A great harvest will be brought in. It is North Korean news. Good news. The dear leader has climbed the highest active volcano in Korea in his dress shoes. Photo supplied. Good news. The dear leader has created hamburgers. You, you see, it wasn't an occupation of high esteem. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of this good news because it has the power unto salvation. People were used to walking by the news shouter because they knew whatever he said did not impact their life whatsoever. Good news, everybody has bread. It will never trickle down to me. I keep walking. Good news, that day is sunny, but I'm wet. This is news that changes not only my today, but my eternity, because it has the power for salvation. This is why the personal consequence is suddenly there is no shame. 
And we're going to see this in the book of Acts. The difference between the men in the first chapter of Luke's book and the second chapter of Luke's book called Acts. Because in the first chapter, Luke's gospel, he tells us in chapter 22, here's this guy, Simon Peter. He was the spokesman. He was the pastor in of the disciples who always has an answer, who's quick to give his contribution in a meeting. But when it came right down to it, Simon Peter, the man who swore, Jesus I will die for you, wouldn't even admit that he knew Jesus because suddenly when crisis came, he was terrified of a slave girl. Three times. Not just Peter, but Mark chapter 14 tells us that when Jesus was arrested, at that moment, every one of the disciples ran away. That just goes to show you Religious information is not empowering. I am still the coward I always was if all I have is religious dogma. And and this fascinating passage of scripture in Mark's gospel, chapter 14, all the disciples run away except one young man in verses 51 and 52 who followed close after Jesus with nothing but linen cloth wrapped around him until the soldiers went to grab him, and then he ran away and left the linen, and he was completely naked. In other words, less shame to be butt naked in public than to be caught with Jesus. But then the gospel came, and something extraordinary happened. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 24, verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. Now, here's one of the things that brought me home to faith in Jesus. As I began to study all these global religions, as I began to resent my parents for dragging me, forcing me to church under threat of death. Serious, I'm not joking. So I went, grumpy every Sunday, crossing my arms, just daring the preacher to keep me from falling asleep. But here's the thing that brought me back, it began to occur to me that I would kill for a lie in my profane, lost self. If I got caught in a worse lie, makes sense to kill somebody. That's why there's a witness protection plan. Because gangsters will kill to protect themselves. Unfaithful husbands will take a contract on their wife in order to Kill for the lie of their marriage. But but who would die for something they know is a lie? These men who were there, who personally experienced, do you not think at some point when they're threatened with death, if it truly was a lie, would they not say, actually, we never really saw him after he died. We're just making that up. So we're good, right? But these men were so transformed by the power of the gospel that cowards became bold. Weaklings became mighty. And the men who were running were suddenly willing to die for the truth that Christ 
is resurrected. He appeared to us many times. And we believe he's filled us somehow with his power. Because of this gospel, that word witnesses became associated with death. Because that Greek word witnesses is the word martus. From which we get our English word martyr. That's the power of the gospel. I want to say this one final thing. I'm hearing all the time. It's like if we want to fill up our new building, I know the, the trick. We advertise, you know, signs of the end is here. You know, religious people are fascinated by all the signs that the end is coming. And I hear all about it. Oh, look, all these earthquakes, it's a sign. We're in the end times. Right? And, and I heard, you know, Donald Trump elected, that's a sign. End times. By the way, I've heard this with every president. First time I remember with Ronald Reagan, Ronald Wilson Reagan. Every name has six letters. Who? Six, 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 right? They're like, who? This is a beast. There's the end times. Like I hear religious people talking all the time about the end times. Except what does Jesus say about the end times? Matthew 24, 14. This is the primary sign of the end times. And this gospel, this good news will be Yengelion preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now notice, this is not a command. It's a consequence. It's a description. You know why this worries me? You need to understand, Jesus did not say, man, it sure would be awesome if everybody went out and shared the gospel and then the end would come, I could come back triumph. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I'm really hoping, you know, you guys will, you know, get out there and share good news. He shared it as an absolute certainty. The gospel will be preached to all nations, and then I will return, not in a manger, but as the king of creation. And here's why this worries me, GBC. It means to me, he's not waiting on us. Somebody will be faithful. The, the choice is, okay, let's, let's just be comfortable with knowing Bible stuff and singing happy songs. Or we will say, no, we, we want Jesus in his power. We, we want everything in our lives to be a platform for his good news because his presence and power is not like his love. His presence and power is conditional upon our embrace of the assignment. Make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded, and I will be with you. There, there, there's no promise to be with the people who cover ourselves with the dress of a Christian version of religious dogma, but do not exist for the gospel. He does not have to use Baptists or Grace Baptists, but why not us? 
Why not me? Why can't I say, Lord, as you desire, use your servant. Everything in my life is a platform for your good news. I'm going to do something a little bit different right now. I want my little sister, Lee Sue, to come and, and take a mic. And um, she's going to sing because she can. Just come, just you, you two come. And um, which mic is she using? The one that's right here. After she sings, I'm going to say one more word. Then we're going to pray and we'll, we'll be done. Hello.